game Friday morning, presented by 105.3 The Fan. Welcome into Big Game Friday morning here, presented by 105 Through the Fan on NBC5. I am your host, Kevin Gray, alongside Chris Blake here on Big Game Friday morning here on NBC5, 105 Through the Fan, getting you ready for another terrific weekend of high school football, college football, and NFL action here on 105 Through the Fan and Big Game Friday morning. Chris, what's going on, man? Good to see you. I'm good. How are you? I'm good, man. Looking forward to another terrific weekend of football highlighted by the Dallas Cowboys taking on the Minnesota Vikings. The Cowboys coming off of their bye week and now visiting the Minnesota Vikings. Looking forward to seeing this Cowboys team back on the field after a week off and now having a chance to uh, to compete with the Vikings on Sunday night. It should be a good one here on NBC5. Just mm-hmm. got to get the little plug in. That's right. But, um, no, it's going to be interesting. And yesterday afternoon, everything was plugging along great all week and then all of a sudden we got thrown a curveball yesterday yeah so it's interesting because a lot of the talk coming into this week after the Cowboys came off their bye week was hey Dak Prescott his strained right calf muscle will he be able to go and then we had news that with the return of Leo Collins Terrence Steele is still going to remain the right tackle going forward as of right now the Cowboys have won their last five straight games Terrence Steele's done a good job at the right tackle spot, but a lot of folks, including myself, thought once Leo Collins came back, it was more so plug and play and get Collins back in there and allow him to remain the starter going forward. But the Dallas Cowboys feeling like continuity and trying to play winning football means having Terrence Steele at the right tackle position right now. Yeah, that seems to be what they're going with. And at some point, it seems like they're just trying to get maybe the five best offensive linemen on the field, and that would probably include Collins and Steele. And then maybe Connor Williams has been speculated might be the odd man out. However, it doesn't sound like that's going to be the case this week. Maybe we'll see. I'd be shocked if we didn't see Collins at some point on Sunday night. But Terrence Steele, I mean, you can't blame him. He's earned the chance to continue to be on the field. I don't think you can dispute that. He's done a fantastic job. They've gone up against some really tough pass rushers, especially the first, what, three, four weeks mm-hmm. of the season maybe. Uh, and they've mostly kept that Dak Prescott upright. And now with a team in the Minnesota Vikings who come in tied for first in the NFL with 21 sacks on the season, a resurgent Everson Griffin, Anthony Barr. You've got Daniil Hunter who's been really good on that defensive line. This Cowboys offensive line is going to have their hands full, not just with Terrence Steele playing at the right tackle spot, but whether or not Dak Prescott himself will actually be playing on Sunday night as things have gone on throughout the week, there have been signs of optimism that he would be ready to play on Sunday night. But as Dak Prescott has said and let us know, uh, the decision may not necessarily be in his hands coming this weekend when it comes to playing against the Minnesota Vikings. Obviously, I trust myself, trust my body, trust what I'm thinking. Um, but also, I trust the coaches and trust Britt, Jim, and the whole uh, training staff and just um, – we put a lot into this. I put a lot in my body and taking care of myself. So, um, but but they know they know how these things work. And first time dealing with something like this, obviously on the same leg as my ankle. Uh, I want to just be smart about it and cautious. But I've gotten better each and every day doing things today that I didn't do as well as I did the day before. And I think that's huge. And of course, Dak Prescott injuring that strained right calf during the final play of the Patriots game, where he threw that 35-yard touchdown pass to C.D. Lamb. So, Chris, when you look at this situation. For the Dallas Cowboys and Dak Prescott, the Cowboys are three games clear of the Washington football team and the Philadelphia Eagles going into week 
number eight here. Should the Dallas Cowboys maybe sit Dak Prescott and maybe allow Cooper Rush, who has been getting first-team reps also this week, potentially go ahead and play and allow Dak Prescott to potentially sit this week, knowing that you've got a nice, comfortable lead in this division right now? I can see it both ways because I understand that the first goal is to, one, make the playoffs. I think they're in a good position to do that. Mm -hmm. Secondly, you want to get a bye in that first round. That would allow any injuries that occur through the second half of this season to kind of get a chance to heal, get a chance to rest as they enter what would be the second round of the playoffs. Does resting Dak Prescott on Sunday hurt your chance at that bye? And is it better to get him healthy now for the rest of the season? Or you're going to have more injuries. It's the NFL. Or do you focus on getting that by trying to win as many games as you can right now? And if he misses a game down the road, I don't know. They've got a lot of division games left. Sure. That's a lot of bad opponents left. The Vikings, <laughs> the Vikings are one of their stronger opponents that they have left on the schedule. So I can see both sides of it. I know that's not what we're here to do. We're supposed to, you know, give a take. But I think you can evaluate it both ways. It just depends what the ultimate goal is. And I kind of lean towards getting that first round by. I don't know about you. Yeah, the first goal to me is to always secure the division and then let things play out from there. And if you feel like you have an opportunity down the road to ensure that you're still winning the division, even if you sit Dak Prescott in this game, I'm okay with them sitting him as long as they feel like there's a plan moving forward to continue to get him healthy, which obviously that would be the case as you're dealing with the strain right cap. So if they sit Dak Prescott this week against the Vikings, I would not be surprised or shocked if they did so. My thing is, if you're the Cowboys, making sure that you're putting Dak Prescott in positions where if he's going to play, he needs to be able to fully go at 100% and not have to worry about the calf muscle. If there's any question or any possibility that you feel like he may aggravate it further or potentially do further damage to it, maybe the prudent thing to do is to go ahead and sit him this week and then allow him to get ready to take on you know, the Broncos and the Falcons and those opponents later on, especially knowing he's coming back home to play those those opponents. So I ultimately think I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to say I think the Cowboys actually sit him on Sunday night because the decision has been taken, as he said, out of his hands at this point. And if it were up to Dak Prescott, I think he would want to play. But I think at the same time, there's an opportunity to rest him knowing that they have a comfortable lead in this division and that they have important home games coming up that will allow him to continue to move forward and play hopefully effective football and not have to worry about the calf you know, injury any further. I hope I'm wrong, obviously. I hope that he's out there on Sunday night football taking on the Minnesota Vikings. But if I had to say as of right now, I think the Dallas Cowboys will sit him on Sunday night and then he will get ready to take on the Broncos uh, and the Falcons once they come back. So I guess we'll see. <laughs> I think we will. And Cooper Rush is, you know, kind of an unknown quantity. Like, we've heard the name. We've seen mm -hmm. him in preseason for years. He's never started a regular season NFL game. Mm -hmm. He's played in six, and he's thrown three passes. That's he's right. one of three <laughs> in six NFL games. So it'll be interesting to see. And I just thought this was kind of ironic Earlier this week, preparing for this, I jotted down, you know, I would ask you, if the Cowboys did not have a bye, would you have felt comfortable with them having to play without Dak and going mm. into Minnesota and playing? And I don't know if this is where, you know, you wish maybe they had a more veteran quarterback. I almost feel like that's 
a piece of the roster construction that I wish was a little bit stronger because on a team with Super Bowl aspirations, you know, if your quarterback goes down, you want somebody that can come in and play. I know Andy Dalton was not great last year, but you feel more comfortable with an Andy Dalton type player Mm -hmm. than you do with a Cooper Rush. Yeah, it's always a tenuous situation when you're dealing with your starting quarterback going down with an injury that could potentially get worse and not having what you may think is a quality backup to be able to come in and help you win a game or two while your quarterback is sitting. So I feel like there's a lot of concern for others when they see the idea of potentially Cooper Rush playing on Sunday. But if it's for one game and one game only to allow Dak Prescott to get the kind of rest he needs so that he is fully at 100% by the time you take on Denver and Atlanta, I'm okay with that happening on Sunday Night Football and seeing how that plays out for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Speaking of the Minnesota Vikings, we had a chance and an opportunity, Chris and I did, to sit down with Arif Hassan of the Athletic Minnesota. He covers all things Minnesota Vikings football for the Athletic to get his thoughts not only on the Cowboys matchup against the Minnesota Vikings, but also specifically with Kirk Cousins, who we know sometimes has some trouble in prime time. Here's our conversation with Arif Hassan of the Athletic Minnesota getting us ready for the Cowboys taking on the Vikings. Joining us here on Big Game Friday morning here on NBC5, presented by 105 through the fan, longtime beat writer for the Minnesota Vikings. And uh, I like to call him friend of the show and uh, longtime Minnesota Vikings beat writer. Arif Hassan joining us here on Big Game Friday morning. Arif, good to see you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Doing well, doing well. The uh, Dallas Cowboys visit your Minnesota Vikings this weekend on a a spooky Sunday night football matchup here. Uh, Tell me why Kirk Cousins won't be nearly as scared of the Dallas Cowboys this time around uh, playing this matchup on Sunday night football. (laughs) Well, I don't know if he won't be nearly as scared, but, uh, you know, the offensive line is playing a lot better this year. I think that's been his primary concern uh, or should have been the primary concern over the last couple of years. Uh, and, and the fact that the Vikings have a couple of new bodies along that offensive line that are performing better uh, is probably going to be a big help. I think, you know, pass rush pressure has been kind of the biggest weakness of that offense. Uh, and so if he's got time in the pocket, if he can move around, he can make some explosive plays. And I think that's going to be kind of the biggest reason um, that, that Cousins has got maybe a little bit more uh, confidence heading in. Maurice, let me just get your take on the Vikings overall this year, because it seems Kind of like they're just that middle-of-the-pack kind of team. Like I saw you wrote a piece last week about their playoff chances. Anywhere from mid-30s to mid-40s, depending on the metric you use. Is that your opinion as well? Or are they kind of on the outside looking in right now as far as where they are going into the final stretch of the season? Yeah, if you take a look at some of those metrics, depending on kind of you know who you ask, essentially – the issue is not kind of how good the Vikings are. The issue is how good their opponents are. So obviously they're going to be playing Dallas, but also uh, going to be playing the Chargers, the Packers, uh, the Ravens, you know, the next three weeks after this. And so they've got uh, the third or fourth most difficult schedule uh, for the rest of the season uh, in the NFL. So that's been the bigger issue. If you take a look at some of the kind of the deeper dive metrics of how they've been doing defensively, how they've been doing offensively, they're actually a fairly solid team. Uh, I, w- I would say probably, you know, a top eight team, you know, I wouldn't put them maybe in the same tier, right, as Dallas, but I put them uh, probably just a tier below. So they're actually a fairly good team. They just have a difficult schedule. They've had a couple of tough breaks uh, in the past couple of games that have led them to be 3-3. They're two plays away from being 5-1. and one. Uh, And so they're they're a pretty good team that's that's had uh, some, some snaps go the other way. Uh, you know, they were able to hold, you know, the Arizona Cardinals to within one point. 
uh, the Carolina Panthers, depends on how good you think they are, they were able to, to overcome them. Uh, and so they've got some good performances in them, but it's just, it's going to be a tough ask to be able to dig themselves out of quick three and put themselves at a record where you could say unquestionably they're going to make the playoffs. Arif, one of the matchups I'm looking most forward to on Sunday night is Justin Jefferson and Trayvon Diggs. Trayvon Diggs, of course, seven interceptions in his first six games. Justin Jefferson, one of the best wide receivers in all of the NFL. Talk to me about that matchup and what we could see possibly between two of the best in the National Football League at this point. Yeah, for sure. I asked Clint Kubiak about that matchup and about kind of how you handle a quarterback like Trayvon Diggs that likes to bait quarterbacks, the throws that look open but really aren't. Uh, and, and how you trust you know, Justin Jefferson, who does a great job of getting open in the first place. Uh, and he said, you know, you just obviously you have to watch the film and kind of figure out kind of what leverage is there and, and, and whatnot. And, and honestly, the, the difficulty that matchup is going to be on whether or not Kirk Cousins demonstrates good judgment and how open Justin Jefferson is going to be. Because the fact of the matter is he's going to look open a lot. Whether or not he's actually open is going to be, you know, down to the skill contest between the two of them. Uh, just because uh, I think Jefferson has a slightly stronger resume over two years over Trayvon Diggs, I would say that he's probably going to get some opportunities. Um, but the, the real question is whether or not Diggs is going to make up for that with a pick, which is so valuable. So um, I, I think that's going to be the most exciting matchup. I think we're going to see a lot of sparks fly in one direction or the other because of it. Um, and I think the Vikings are kind of excited to test it out. But because, you know, they've got potentially an Adam Thielen and Anthony Brown matchup, I think that they would be pretty excited to test that one out too. Uh, and so I, I think that, we're also going to see, you know, the Vikings kind of decline some what look like good opportunities to try and evaluate those other matchups that they have. Yeah, I think as a, as a Cowboys fan, you're excited about that Diggs-Jefferson matchup. But on the other side, feeling going against Anthony Brown might make you a little bit nervous. Maybe we'll see uh, Brown get a little more help on that side of the field. To stay on the wide receivers just a little bit longer, since you're around them every day, since you see them in practice, you've been covering them, covering them for years, we say, or smart people say, touchdowns for wide receivers are not replicable season to season. But Adam Thielen, something in the red zone, he is a magnet for the ball. What makes him so dangerous when the Vikings get in with inside the 20-yard line? Yeah, no, it is kind of interesting. Receivers tend to regress to this 100-yard to one-touchdown ratio kind of over a long time span. And that, that has not been true for Adam Thielen over the past couple of years. Now, last year was – a huge anomaly. I don't expect him to have 14 touchdowns again, but he's on a pretty good pace this year, and a lot of that has to do with, like you said, red zone production. Um, he does just a, a great job creating effective spacing. You know, he, he doesn't just understand kind of the rap concepts that the Vikings want to run in the red zone. He's got a really good understanding of the way defenses like to play him in the red zone, and he does a really good job playing around with that. Uh, and so for him, it's, it's a lot like, you know, he doesn't have the size, but I think one good comparison would be kind of Eric Decker, the way that they manipulate space in the red zone. He was another really good red zone receiver. It's not like a contested catch guy, but more like a guy that has the ability to kind of move defensive backs in and out of areas where they need to be. So I, I think that's been kind of a big thing. And then also the fact is that the Vikings just haven't had a lot of other red zone threats, especially this year when they don't have Kyle Rudolph anymore. They just don't have any many red zone bodies. And so a big part of it is the trust that Adam Thielen has built up with the Kirk Cousins over the years, they know that he can win in the red zone. There's kind of one criticism that you would have of Justin Jefferson last year is that you know, he wasn't all that effective in the red zone, maybe literally everywhere else, but, but not as much in the red zone. And I think that kind of trust that Adam Thielen has built up has been a big part of the reason he's been productive there. Switching things to the defensive side of the ball, I'm, I'm curious because Mike Zimmer, of course, former Dallas Cowboys assistant, Cowboys fans know him very well. 
And this defense this season, Arif, 21 sacks, tied for first in the National Football League. A lot of that due to a resurgent Everson Griffin, former Dallas Cowboy, also alongside Daniil Hunter and others. Talk to me about how good this defensive line has been and how they've been able to really get after the quarterback so far this year. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, you know, if you take a look at PFF pressure rate, I think they're like third in the NFL in pressure rate. They've done a, a really good job finding ways to get into backfield, hit quarterbacks at first. I think it's sack percentage. Um, they've done a really good job, and a big part of that has to do with the fact that Everson Griffin is playing um, as if you know it's been a couple of years ago, and 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 he's a Viking yet. Like it, it's it's pretty remarkable. I didn't actually expect this level of production, and I imagine Dallas Cowboys fans and Detroit Lions fans <laughs> uh, didn't expect that either after what he was able to do last year. But I think. You know, uh, his revival in, in terms of, you know, his physical capability, his technical capability, and his familiarity with what uh, the defensive line coach Andre Patterson wants him to do has all been a big part of that resurgence. He's been a big part of that. But, you know, obviously the big name there is Daniel Hunter, and he's been really remarkable. You know, I don't think that his numbers are kind of like his pressure numbers are up there with some of the best, but I think part of that has to do with how much attention he demands. I mean, he's been getting some double teams, uh, and that's opened up pass rushing lanes and other opportunities. I mean, Mike Zimmer's been really good at creating one-on-one matchups for everybody else. And a big part of that is making sure that they take advantage of the, of the attention that, that Hunter draws. And so we've seen, like, free, free lanes available for loopers on stunts and blitzers and stuff like that. And so that's been a huge part of that, that pressure production that they've had. I mean, they're uh, middle of the road in terms of blitz percentage. They don't blitz any more often than any other team. But uh, when they do, they, they're remarkably effective at it. And that's a big part of the reason is that because they've been able to design these, uh, these rush packages that create one-on-one matchups. And when you've got just like five one-on-one matchups, somebody is probably going to. Moving to how they'll fare overall against this Cowboys team, which is number one scoring offense in the NFL. But defensive line has been solid. Linebackers have been a little bit suspect. And against the pass, they've been okay, which includes a former Cowboy in that secondary for the Vikings. Yeah, Xavier Woods has played, I think, a lot better this year. He looks a lot more like he, when he was a Dallas Cowboy two years ago rather than last year. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they're playing him a little bit higher. He's not playing in the box as much. Uh, plus, the scheme that, he, that he's in right now, I think, uh, does a lot more for him in terms of when he can freelance, when he can't. His communication with Harrison Smith has been remarkable. I think anytime we talk to anybody in the facility about Xavier Woods, the first thing they bring up is his communication and his ability to talk for the rest of the secondary and then set up. Uh, and so that chemistry that he's been able to develop really quickly in the Vikings locker room and, and, and on the field has been a huge part of his ability to kind of cap over, you know, these cornerbacks. It's not really like a lot of previous Zimmer defenses where cornerbacks really are carrying a bunch of people deep downfield. Um, there's a little bit more cover two this year than I think we've seen in a lot of Zimmer defenses, and that puts a lot on the safeties to prevent big, you know, these big plays and deep passes. And for the most part, David Woods has done a really good job putting himself in position where he can either deter throws or break up throws. Uh, and so putting him in a position where he's a little bit more familiar and a little bit more comfortable, which is up high, um, has helped him play like he played two years ago rather than like last year. Uh, and so, uh, you know, he's been, uh, he's been really happy with the way that, that he's been able to play and with the way the defense is utilizing him. Uh, and he said actually just a couple of minutes ago that this game means a little bit more to him because the Cowboys didn't even offer, it sounds like, uh, in free agency. So he's, wanted, he's, he's circled this game on a schedule. Who knew that this game was going to be the Everson Griffin Xavier Woods revenge game? <laughs> That's what it sounds like it's shaping up to be on a, on Sunday night on Sunday night football. Arif, last one for me before we get you out of here. As far as what did the Vikings have to do on both sides of the ball in your mind to get after this Cowboys team, who offensively feels like one of the best in the National Football League and a team that likes to turn teams over? How did the Vikings in your mind get a win on Sunday night against the Cowboys? 
Yeah, well, I think uh, if we start with the Vikings on offense, Cowboys on defense, I think it's going to be that turnover thing because yeah, the Cowboys are pretty comfortable giving up a couple of yards here and there, knowing that they'll probably get a turnover, you know, either with a peanut punch or an interception. Uh, and, uh, and and they know that that's going to be worth it for them. And so the Vikings uh, have been focusing on ball security in particular, you know, this past week, knowing kind of the way the Cowboys play and also knowing how they played against Carolina, how they had a fumbling problem. So for them, it's going to be about ball security. It's going to be about safe plays. The Vikings for this year have been a little bit less explosive, and that and the trade-off there has been they've been a lot safer. Uh, Kirk Cousins has thrown a lot fewer in terms of turnover-worthy plays. He was already a pretty safe quarterback in that regard, and I think they're going to try to avoid those turnovers and take the yards that Dallas tends to give and hope that they can avoid the interceptions that come with it. So I think that's going to be the key, because I think they'll find ways to march down the field given the, the talent that they have on, on offense, but it's going to be avoiding those big turnovers. And I think on the other side of the ball, I think for the Vikings, it's going to be kind of a really traditional defensive approach. On first and second down, they're going to try to stop the run, force third and long. The Vikings are the best third and long defense in the league. They've, they've been the best third and long defense for like the past five years running, even when they've had bad defenses in other respects. And so forcing those third and longs is going to be really big, and that's going to pull out those blitz packages that Zimmer's so good at designing. And so I think for them, defensively, the game plan is not going to be all that different from the way they face other offenses. It's just going to be a higher level of play than you typically see. Uh, and then offensively, it's going to be probably a safer version of play uh, that, than, than you might see from the Vikings team. So I think that's going to be the key. It's going to be making sure that Ezekiel Elliott doesn't hurt them too much and making sure that they put Dak Prescott in half-to-throw situations. Should be a fun matchup on Sunday Night Football as the Dallas Cowboys visit the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, Kirk Cousins looking to uh, continue to try and put those ghosts behind him of primetime football past against the Dallas Cowboys. You can find Arif uh, at The Athletic. Does a terrific job covering all things for The Athletic, Minnesota Vikings. Arif, thank you so much for the time. Really appreciate it. And uh, I won't say go Vikings because this, this is a Cowboys show, so I won't say go Vikings. But <laughs> we'll, we'll talk to you on the next one. We appreciate the time. I, I appreciate the sentiment. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> you can find Arif on Twitter at Arif Hassan NFL. Does a terrific job covering all things for the Minnesota Vikings as the Vikings host the Dallas Cowboys, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, the Vikings tie for first in the NFL with 21 sacks on the season. Can this Cowboys team, though, get after Kirk Cousins offensively? So far, the Cowboys have recorded an NFL leading five interceptions when sending a blitz at opposing quarterbacks in 2021. And opposing QBs have a passer rating of 63.5 in blitz passing situations, which is third lowest in the National Football League. So, Dan Quinn may be dialing up some extra pressure to get after Kirk Cousins. And then conversely, on the offensive side, you know, the Cowboys are going to have their hands full in this offensive line with Daniil Hunter, you know, Anthony Barr, a resurgent Everson Griffin, former Dallas Cowboy. And Terrence Steele is going to be called upon quite a bit to be able to help stabilize that right side of the offensive line, knowing that these pass rushers are going to get after this team. Here is Terrence Steele on his ability not only to get ready to play, but also remaining the starter with Leon Collins even back for this Cowboys offensive line here? There definitely should be some emotions, you know, but I try to stay neutral. Don't get too high, don't get too low. Just focus on the game put ahead and focus on the game and um, focus on winning, most importantly. Just the fact that he's, he's been able to hold that spot down um, what, what were six games into this year and done a great job, his five, uh, and just continuing to get better. But to have Lyle back, to be able to have him just as a weapon, um, whether we move around, move him around, or whether he gets in there at right tackle, or whatever we do with him, uh, it's huge for this team. The depth is going to be tested for this team. Terrence Steele, the former Texas Tech product, 
which we'll get to Texas Tech. They've got some. They've got some problems. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to a little bit later on uh, in the show. But again, this is a credit to what he's been able to do in stabilizing that right side. I still think your best five involves having Leo Collins as your right tackle with Connor Williams as your left guard. But the versatility of Collins that they're hoping to get back out of him by potentially playing some guard at some point during the season just adds to the versatility and the depth of this offensive line, which, again, will be tested against a very good Minnesota Vikings front four that likes to get after the quarterback. Yeah, they've done a great job so far, and that front four is one of the strengths of this Vikings defense. You could probably say maybe the weaker part of the defense is – Maybe in that second level, the linebackers. The secondary is also very good. It's an experienced unit. We talked with the Reef about Xavier Woods, but you do need that depth on the offensive line. When the Cowboys were at their best, what, in Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott's rookie season, mm-hmm. I'm totally blanking, but I remember they had a swing tackle, and I can't remember who it was. Was it Doug Free? Who? No, he was the starting right tackle, I think. Yeah, I'm trying to remember down at the same time because my eyes are on the blank, too. But there was, <laughs> I remember there was like a sixth offensive lineman mm-hmm. that was spoken about with high regard that they could plug and play. Tyron Smith, a history of injury issues, especially as he gets deeper into his career. Mm-hmm. So having someone like a Terrence Steele that you're comfortable with plugging in on multiple spots on the offensive line, that's another thing. You know, that a team with Super Bowl aspirations, along with the veteran backup quarterback, should have available to it. Yeah, and we'll see how that Cowboys offensive line holds up against that Minnesota Viking uh, defensive line. Conversely, the Cowboys are going to have their hands full offensively, not only with Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson getting them on the same page, but also Dalvin Cook, who had his best game last week against the Carolina Panthers, ran for a buck 40 uh, on the road in that overtime win against Carolina. The Dallas Cowboys, especially in that interior, with guys like Osa Digizua and others are really going to have their hands full with Dalvin Cook running the football. It should be a balanced attack for the Minnesota Vikings taking on this Cowboys team. And whether or not Dak Prescott plays is really going to tell us a lot about how this team is going to approach Sunday night, given the fact that Dak Prescott could not potentially go, given the fact he's dealing with that strained right calf. If Dak Prescott does play, I do think the Cowboys get the win on the road. Obviously, if he doesn't play, all bets are off at that point, and Cooper Rush would be the starter, and I would pick the the Vikings given the balance that they have offensively and their ability to potentially get after this Cowboys offensive line with Griffin and Anthony Barr and also Daniil Hunter really putting pressure on Cooper Rush if he is, is in fact, the quarterback on Sunday night. I agree with you on that point. I think, you know, with Cooper Rush back there, when Dak Prescott's comments came out yesterday, the line in Vegas – Swung like five. You saw points. that too, swung huh? Swung like five points. I didn't see it because it's not something I check like regularly. But yeah. I was listening to some other stuff, uh-huh. and people were saying, "Oh, the Vikings went from two and a half point underdogs to two and a half point favorites." Mm-hmm. So Vegas is kind of hedging its bet. Somebody I, knows something. <laughs> well, I think probably a lot of maybe just because after those comments, they didn't want a bunch of people coming in and getting the Cowboys at that number, mm-hmm. um, and then have. Cooper Rush start instead of Dak Prescott. Yeah. But the Cowboys have done a good job against the run this year. They're fifth in the league in rushing in rushing yards per game. They're only giving up 86 on the ground. They've actually given up a ton through the air. They're fifth worst mm-hmm. against the pass, but those interceptions have really saved them in that department. They turn the opponent over so much, it's kind of a bend-don't-break approach through the air. So forcing at least one turnover in the passing game, I think, is going to be key for the Cowboys here because if Kirk Cousins can 
have a field day with Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen. K.J. Osborne has been good this year as mm -hmm. well. And how much do you trust those second and third corners for the Cowboys, Anthony Brown, Jordan Lewis, going against you know pretty talented receivers? Uh, it's going to be imperative to get pressure on Kirk Cousins, who has been pretty good this year. So yeah. you know, I think like same thing with you. If Dak Prescott plays, Eileen Cowboys. If Cooper Rush plays, Eileen Vikings. Which is ironic because last year the Cowboys, one of their six wins was on the road against the Minnesota Vikings. CeeDee Lamb having that spectacular catch, you know, on the back of the end zone uh, with Andy Dalton uh, as the quarterback. So maybe backup Cowboys uh, quarterbacks visiting the Minnesota Vikings may not necessarily be a bad thing uh, on Sunday Night Football because they've been able to do it before, it looks like. Yeah, it's one, it's one of those things like in baseball where you find that really specific stat, you're like, with runners on second in the seventh inning or later with one out. Like, it's <laughs> yeah. that really specific football Really stat. obscure yeah. stat that you find, yeah. So we'll see how the Cowboys take on the Minnesota Vikings on Sunday Night Football uh, right here on NBC5 at, uh, at 720 uh, as the Cowboys look to play the Vikings on Halloween night. Let's take a look at some other NFL action taking place in week number eight, some Cowboys opponents in the future and some games that we're going to be keeping our eye on. Let's start with the Eagles visiting the Detroit Lions, as I mentioned earlier, the Dallas Cowboys, three games clear of the Washington football team and the Philadelphia Eagles as the Eagles take on a Detroit Lions team, Chris, that has been competitive at times. You know, you saw last week against the Los Angeles Rams, if Jared Goff doesn't throw, you know, a red zone interception to his former teammate, Jalen Ramsey, who knows how that game finishes out. They were competitive against the Vikings at home against the Ravens before Justin Tucker, you know, ultimately ended things with a record 66-yard right. Field goal. How are you feeling about the Eagles visiting the Lions this week and how that game will shake out? I think the Lions finally get their first win. I do, too. I, I do, too. It's really hard not to win a single game during a whole entire I mean, the NFL Lions are They've the Lions, done it before. They've done it, they've done it before. <laughs> hey, they have one extra chance this year. That's true. Um, Very true. They get DeAndre Swift back this week. He missed yes, last week with an injury. The Eagles are going to be without Miles Sanders. Granted, they don't seem to want to use him that often uh, but you know i think deandre swift has come on this year and been just a monster uh if jared goff can just hang on to the ball a little bit i think the lions get their first win and the eagles continue to struggle stat to know from this is comes from espn stats and info uh jalen hurts is the only player in the nfl with at least 10 passing touchdowns and five rushing touchdowns this season so he's a dual threat with the arm and the legs can the detroit lions handled themselves against that dual threat in one Jalen Hurts. I, I do think the Lions get the win, though, at home. Uh, as much as they've been competitive, I think this is the game that they finally are able to capitalize on. Jared Goff, I think, has a bounce-back week, and they're able to get their first win of the season at home against the Philadelphia Eagles, which would obviously help out the Dallas Cowboys. Right. Uh, and you know what's interesting, too? Both of these games, the Eagles at the Lions, and the next game that we're going to get to, the Washington football team at Denver – both happen before, obviously, the Cowboys play on Sunday Night Football. So I wonder if the outcomes of these games where the Eagles lose to the Lions and then with our next one, the Washington football team takes on the Denver Broncos, you see, well, wait a minute. If both of these teams lose, maybe that's another reason you can go ahead and sit Dak Prescott because your lead in the division theoretically would have increased even before you get onto the field against the Vikings. So maybe that's also kind of is some thought process maybe. You know, I, for the Cowboys. I can't imagine that it would. Do you, do you really? I'm just throwing it out there. I'm I mean, looking for any reason to maybe sit Dak Prescott, maybe rest, because I think they'll make the decision probably on Saturday, regardless of what they think will happen in those outcomes, because you really can't obviously feel right. like, you know, you're going to dictate decisions based on what your teams are doing 
in your division. But, you know, maybe it's just, you know, another theory another out there. Another thing to, yeah, think, about. to the, think about. I just think the Cowboys are so much better than the rest of their division. It seems like every week when we go through these other NFC East games, this week being an exception with the Monday night game, which we'll get to, but, mm-hmm. you know, Eagles-Lions, Washington-Broncos, Neither one of those is something I'm like, man, I got to watch that game. Yeah, yeah. Not necessarily the barn burner games this week in the uh, in the NFC East outside of the Cowboys visiting uh, the Vikings. The Washington football team taking on the Denver Broncos. The Washington football team loses a three straight. Ryan Fitzpatrick continues to be out. I thought the Washington football team was competitive last week against the Green Bay Packers. Uh, some bad luck and some uh, un- unfortunate calls by the referee. Taylor Heineke giving himself up in, according to the rule book was not able to get the touchdown. Then he fumbles on, on the fourth down, uh, ruining his own you know Lambeau leap that he had. Uh, but the Washington football team ultimately lost to the Green Bay Packers last week. Yeah, I mean, and Taylor Heineke has been fine filling in for Ryan Fitzpatrick. Mm-hmm. You know, the expectations for this team were higher. Ryan Fitzpatrick, He's a little bit of a journeyman, but wherever he goes, he seems to perform well. This was a defense that has a lot, of, still has a lot of talent. They just haven't been able to put it together. So, and I don't know if that happens this week or not. Denver started 3-0 and against a weak schedule and has not been very good since then. But maybe this is the week the Broncos can get things right, you know, at home. And Terry McLaurin was held out of practice the other day as well. So we'll see what kind of, uh, how much at full strength he is going into this one yeah denver continues to be in free fall right now this is a team that started off three and oh now three and four losers of their last four games in a row this denver defense though is still fourth in the league in scoring defense you've got patrick sertan you've got kyle fuller you got those guys out there von miller still dealing with an ankle injury doesn't look like he'll be ready to go by the time the denver broncos get a visit from the washington football team Uh, i'm gonna pick denver in this game i think denver handles their business in this game i think Taylor Heineke is going to try to put some extra pressure on himself to try to make plays in the passing game. And I think this that Denver secondary could potentially uh, find themselves picking off a couple passes from Taylor Heineke uh, on Sunday. Next game that we'll get to here in the NFC East, the New York football Giants visit a Kansas City Chief football team that a lot of folks are starting to write off given the start that they've had this season. Patrick Mahomes leads the NFL with nine interceptions this season. The Chiefs are virtually last in every single defensive category. And after getting blasted by the Tennessee Titans on the road last week, a lot of folks are riding off the Kansas City Chiefs right now and their chances to even make the playoffs. Michael Irvin on uh, ESPN and NFL Network said, hey, I think the dynasty is over with in Kansas City. Do you feel that same way about how the Chiefs have been able to uh, not perform at their capabilities so far through seven games? I don't think you can say the dynasty is over as long as Patrick Mahomes is the quarterback. He's there for <laughs> he's there for the rest of his career with the deal he just signed. So, you know, maybe they don't make the playoffs this year. That doesn't mean the dynasty is over. They can fix the defense. They have the one of the best, if not the best quarterbacks in the NFL locked up for a decade. I don't think it's over for them. The problem with this year is they're in a really tough division. That AFC West has a lot of good teams this mm-hmm. year. Um, so, you know, at one point they were in fourth place, the three points they scored against the Titans were the lowest number of points they've scored in Patrick Mahomes career that they haven't scored a touchdown. So, but you know, this week they get a giants team that 
is missing almost its entire offense. <laughs> I mean, <who laughs> pretty is, much. Daniel Jones is going to play, but who's going to carry the ball? Sterling Shepard is expected back. Uh, we don't expect to see Saquon Barkley for at least another week. Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Tony, mm-hmm. all, Evan Ingram. It's a all, banged up football yeah, team. All those guys dealing with injury issue, issues. Uh, so Shepard, what I read yesterday was that he was the closest of all those skill position guys to returning this week. Uh, but, you know, we don't expect to see their best offensive player in Saquon Barkley. Yeah, this Giants team is just a bad football team, a team that's injury-riddled at this point. But also, if the Chiefs ever needed a bounce-back game and a get-right game, nothing better than having the New York football Giants come to Arrowhead to play and get themselves an opportunity to get right. This is a, a Giants football team, though. I just don't feel like we'll have the juice to be able to compete with the Kansas City Chiefs team. That's going to be an angry football team after getting embarrassed on the road last week against Tennessee. I think what's been interesting about watching how teams have defensed this Cowboys or this Chiefs offense so far this season is that they're forcing the Chiefs to be patient, not having the big plays over the top with Tyreek Hill, keeping things out in front of them, and daring the Kansas City Chiefs to matriculate the ball down the field and take the plays that are given to them and not giving up big plays over the top. And I think that's frustrated this offense. And then when you start looking at Patrick Mahomes offensively, I think a lot of pressure has been put on him by the fact that his defense has not been able to stop anything. When you've got a quarterback who feels like he has to score on every single possession because he knows that the defense that he's got on the other side is probably going to give up 25 to 30 points every single time, Patrick Mahomes feels like at times he's forcing things to try and make plays that aren't necessarily there, and that's a function, I think, based on what his Chiefs defense has not been able to do in stopping teams this season. And unfortunately, Patrick Mahomes is trying to do things outside of himself, even as great as he is, and it's caused a lot of mistakes, as I mentioned, leading the NFL with nine interceptions. But I'm going to still take the Chiefs in this game. I think the Chiefs. I think you have to. Yeah, I think the Chiefs handle their business when they take on the New York football giants in Kansas City. Love this segment that we always do here on Big Game Friday morning. Our guy Patrick Doney, or a guy, I gave him his full name, said his whole full you name. Know, He'll you're go. Give, doing, the, doing the mom thing. He's in trouble. Yeah, no he, full name. Exactly. And when you have a full Patrick Doney there, uh, that's his name on C on the Eagles. But of course, Pat Doney out this week. We'll be back next week. But the segment that we always love to do here, if the Super Bowl were today, who would you have in the Super Bowl? And I think I might have to change mine a little bit based on what happened last night on Thursday Night Football as the Green Bay Packers go into Arizona. They get a walk-off interception. No Devontae Adams. The Packers now move to 7-0 and in the Aaron Rodgers era without Devontae Adams on the field. And they get a 24-21 win on the road. So I'll start with you first. If the Super Bowl were today, Chris Blake, who would you have in the Super Bowl? I am leaving mine unchanged from a week ago, Okay, which was the Los Angeles Rams and the Buffalo Bills. I haven't seen anything from either of those teams to make me change my mind at this point. Matthew mm-hmm. Stafford still playing at you know an MVP caliber, caliber level. He leads the NFL in QBR by a mile. Um even in a very tough NFC. The AFC is obviously the weaker conference this year. The NFC is very top-heavy, but I'm still going Rams to come out of it. I think I might have to change my – so coming into today's show, I had the Arizona Cardinals taking on the Tennessee Titans, and that's a little bit of a departure for me because I had the Cardinals and the Bills. But after what the Titans did to the Kansas City Chiefs last week, Derrick Henry didn't have a great game running the football. He actually threw a touchdown pass last week against the Kansas City Chiefs. 
The Tennessee Titans look like a team that's clicking on all cylinders right now. They've got physical wide receivers with Julio Jones. A.J. Brown continues to be really good there. Tannenhill continues to look be the guy that keeps this, the, the, the ship steady for them offensively at the quarterback position. But you've got the best running back in football right now, and Derrick Henry just punishing teams week over week. I would have the Tennessee Titans in the Super Bowl right now. And I guess once I saw what happened on Thursday night, I had the Arizona Cardinals initially. I'm going to say the Green Bay Packers right now. Aaron Rodgers won you over. Man, look, it's been a – The guy is incredible. He really He's, is. Look, 37, 38 years old. Yeah. And what's interesting is the Packers got dismantled in week one by the New Orleans Saints. Since then, they've been fantastic. Aaron Rodgers has protected the football well. They were able to win that football game uh, with no Devontae Adams and no Alan Lazard. Like they, they were able to still win that football game, and they did it with their defense, even though Aaron Rodgers in that offense is pretty good still. Randall Cobb had a couple touchdown catches. Uh, old man, old uh, Randall Cobb, former Dallas Cowboy Randall yep. Cobb, uh, played well for the Green Bay Packers. So I'm going to say the Green Bay Packers and the Tennessee Titans at the Super Bowl were today. You can't argue with it. We've got a, and that's we've got no a, disrespect to the Cowboys. There's no disrespect to the Cowboys. Pat's had the Cowboys in for the last couple weeks. He has. We'll see next. Well, we'll see what happens on Sunday night, and then we'll see next week when he's back where he stands on that. How he feels about uh, his uh, Dallas Cowboys still being in the Super Bowl. I guess that would depend on whether or not Dak Prescott plays against the Minnesota Vikings, and we'll see how he feels uh, next week. Let's turn our attention to the college game real quick. We'll get to a couple of high school games and a piece of high school football news that I think is going to be very interesting. It's kind uh, of speculation, but yeah. it's fun to talk about. Yeah, definitely. We'll get to that here in just a moment. Let's turn our attention to the college game, though. Uh, Texas Tech visiting number four Oklahoma this week. The Texas Tech Red Raider program in Lubbock in a little bit of turmoil right now after losing to Kansas State last week. They decided to go ahead and make a move at their head coaching spot. They fire Matt Wells, Sonny Cumbie taking over just in time to take on Oklahoma as they look to Oklahoma does continue their college football playoff march. The number four team in the country had a tough, close win on the road last week in Lawrence, in Lawrence, Kansas. The Kansas Jayhawks playing much better than what a lot of folks expected. Uh, but Texas Tech, a program um, that is in a little bit of transition right now after firing Matt Wells this week. We'll hear from... Texas Tech Athletic Director Kirby Hocutt real quick and then get back to talking about the game on Saturday. I think as we looked at the 30 games that uh, Matt Wells led us and the 13-17 record, the 7-16 and record at conference, the fact that we were 0-2 in, in home games this year from a conference perspective, uh, just given where we were, and you looked at the full body of work, we felt uh, it was inevitable, and today was the day that uh, we wanted to move forward. So a mid-season move with Matt Wells being dismissed as head coach of Texas Tech, as I mentioned, Sonny Cumbie taking over as interim head coach for now. I do think Oklahoma handles their business this weekend, but a game that we'll get to in a little bit um, could see a potential head coach uh, being in the, the running when it comes to the head coaching job at Texas Tech. And I mentioned that particular team because uh, they're number 19 in the country. Again, I think Oklahoma handles their business. Texas Tech is in disarray right now. New head coach, new interim head coach with Sonny Cumbie. But there may be a potential head coaching candidate uh, that will be in Houston this weekend as the number 19 SMU Mustangs take on 
the Houston Cougars, Tanner Mordecai leading college football with 29 touchdown passes, eighth in passing yards. Sonny Dykes, could he be a potential coaching candidate for the Texas Tech Red Raiders going into next season once the season has completed? That seems to be what a lot of the speculation is right now around uh, the Texas Tech program. And, you know, Sonny Dykes has done a fantastic job at SMU. And obviously, I don't know anything about the inner workings of how this is going on, but the linkage is there. Sonny Dykes' father, Spike, was the coach at Texas Tech from 1987 to 1999. He's the second winningest coach in program history behind only Mike Leach, who hasn't beat just by a couple of games. The other name you see floated a lot in these articles is Jeff Trailer at UTSA. We, they're not really in our area. We don't talk about them as much, but he's done a fantastic job getting UTSA relevant in football. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit better than, you know, the Larry Coker era down there <laughs> for the Roadrunners. That's a name you don't hear every no, day. No, not often. So, you know, Texas Tech, I think, is in a tough spot. You know, they're the only big state school left in this conference. Once Texas is out, I mean, I guess you kind of can say them and Oklahoma State are kind of in the same boat. There are two big state schools left in the Big 12. So where do they go from here? Sonny Dykes is definitely a candidate. And on the field, SMU's got a tough task ahead of them in taking on Houston. And this is the biggest game maybe in years for the Mustang program. Yeah, Sonny Dykes 24-6 is taking over 2019. SMU, two tough row games. They visit Houston this week at 6-1. and one. Then they go to Memphis. Then they get UCF at home before the big showdown on the road against Cincinnati. SMU hoping to be undefeated by the time they get to Cincinnati because not only will American Conference supremacy be on the line there, for SMU, there's an opportunity for them, if they do beat Cincinnati and remain undefeated by the time they get to Cincinnati, to be competing for a New Year's Six game, which yep. is huge for this program and maybe something for Sonny Dykes if he's able to secure a New Year's Six game you know, for SMU. SMU will look at their situation and say, hey, maybe we need to lock up uh, yeah. Sonny Dykes Let's before. Back up the truck a little bit. Exactly, before he has an opportunity to potentially consider taking the job uh, at Texas Tech. So a lot on the line for an SMU Mustang program that continues to be one of the big surprises in the country, especially with Tanner Mordecai throwing those 29 touchdown passes. Can they remain undefeated and keep their march rolling to potentially face an undefeated Cincinnati team to potentially find themselves getting into a new year six game? Speaking of Oklahoma State, the Kansas Jayhawks, who put up a real tough fight last week at home against Oklahoma, they visit Oklahoma State after they got upset last week by Iowa State, effectively ending, I would say, their Big 12 Conference Championship uh, aspirations. Can Spencer Sanders and Jalen Warren, uh, who I think will be an angry offense, uh, look to handle their business when they take on the Kansas Jayhawks this weekend. Yeah, I don't think the Jayhawks give Oklahoma State the kind of run they gave the Sooners last week. I agree. Uh, but, you know, Oklahoma State, if they continue to win, they could reach the Bedlam game if Oklahoma also continues mm-hmm. to win with a chance to give the Sooners their first loss and uh, have both teams go in with one loss at the end of the season. There's, We can get into it a little more when we talk Texas-Baylor, but there's kind of a few teams left in the mix for that second spot, assuming Oklahoma continues to win. TCU visits K-State this weekend. TCU lost at home last week to West Virginia. Of course, K-State, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, they got Matt Wells fired at Texas Tech (laughs) after they got their road win at Lubbock last week. Uh, To me, Zach Evans has got to have a huge game. Talented running back. 
for TCU. You know this program well. Zach Evans, I think, is going to have a huge hand in potentially getting a win on the road against the KC Wildcats this weekend. It's a tough road for TCU the rest of the way. They've got a tough road to hoe to get to bowl eligible uh, with the way the schedule shakes out the rest of the year. They haven't played Oklahoma State yet. They haven't played Baylor yet. So a couple of ranked teams in the conference. This, I thought last week was a must-win game. They didn't win. So I mean, <laughs> so this, this is a must-must win. Yeah, this, this week. one t- is as well. Uh, just a team that you know gives up a lot of yards on the ground this year, which is not characteristic for a Gary Patterson coached team in Kansas State. You know, it seems like every year they run the ball well. I don't know what it is up there in Manhattan, but something in the water leads to a good ground game. I think I go Wildcats in this one. Oh, okay. So you're going to take the uh, the Wildcats handling their business at home. I'm going to take the TCU Horn Frogs. Zach Evans. Think I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to make sure give you some encouragement this weekend. I know you're a proud TCU you know, alum, and uh, I think TCU gets the win on the road. Uh, UNT visits Rice this weekend, North Texas. Visiting Rice, North Texas, unfortunately, has lost their last six straight games. Had a close loss last week uh, to Liberty. Rice won last week uh, over UAB. They were a 24-point underdog going into that game against UAB, and they were able to get the win there. Uh, I think Jake Constantine, quarterback for Rice, is able to handle their business against UNT this weekend. And finally, the Texas Longhorns visit the upstart and surprise Baylor Bears, who are number 16 in the country. Now, I put in my notes here. I said, look, I think Baylor has the opportunity to put Texas out of its misery right. <laughs> with the win uh, on Saturday. Texas, of course, the collapse against Oklahoma, the collapse against Oklahoma State. Steve Sarkeesian and his program reeling a little bit after some really devastating losses. This Baylor run game is really, really good. Abram Smith, Tristan Ebner ran for nearly 300 yards combined against BYU last week. I think Dave Aranda's bunch gets the win at home in Waco against Texas this weekend. I do, too, and this is not what I expected in the Steve Sarkeesian era, especially after – you know, the first half against Oklahoma in the Cotton Bowl, everyone's feeling good. All mm-hmm. of a sudden, Caleb Williams comes in and just derails the Longhorn season. This is a big game in the Big 12 title race, too. Baylor needs a win to keep pace with Oklahoma State mm-hmm. for that number two spot. And again, a Texas loss essentially mathematically knocks them out. A win, they can still hang around, but they go to Iowa State next week, which we have talked about a couple times on this show. Came in with high expectations, mm-hmm. kind of fell off early in the season. That loss to Iowa early on kind of hurt them. But they showed they're still a talented team, uh, knocking off Oklahoma State, a top-10 team at the time, in Ames. So, you know, this one might be the one I'm most intrigued by in the Big 12 this week. Texas, in their three losses, have given up an average of 296 yards on the ground. Not uh, helped by uh, the Arkansas game. Exactly. So a talented Baylor football team that could run the football. But John Robinson is going to have to try and control things in the ground game to ground game to keep Texas in the game. But I'm going to take Baylor uh, at home in Waco against the Texas Longhorns this weekend. A terrific slate of college football action here in the great state of Texas, highlighted by Texas taking on Baylor in Waco. Let's get to our best bet, our favorite bets of the week. Quickly before we touch on our couple of high school games and also some news in Texas high school football this week. My favorite bets, I'll start with, I got my top three. The Bills are a 13 and a half point favorite at home against the Miami Dolphins. The trade rumors continue to swirl with Deshaun Watson and what's going on in Miami. I think the Buffalo Bills handle their business against the Dolphins. Uh, George is a 14 point favorite 
in the world's largest cocktail party as they take on the Florida Gators this weekend. Georgia is rolling right now. I thought that was low. They've been favored by like three touchdowns <laughs> against everybody else. Yeah, I think that's more so respect to the rivalry. Yeah. Uh, but I think Georgia, I think, handles their business there. And I found this line to be interesting, and I don't know if it's changed since then, but originally the SMU-Houston line was a push. Huh. So it was a minus 0.0. It was a push line. So I guess I'm taking SMU to defeat Houston uh, with a win and to win outright. Straight up. Yes, just went outright and straight up there. So those are my three favorite bets of the weekend. What are yours this week? Got a couple NFL games. I got I like the Falcons at home winning by two and a half over the Panthers. Mm. I think the Falcons are playing better recently and the Panthers are going in the opposite direction after that three and start. I like the Bengals to win by more than ten at the Jets. Zach Wilson's hurt. The Bengals team that is how about those Bengals, huh? Really well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know if Joe Flacco is going to come in and save the day for the Jets. Or Elite not. Joe Flacco. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I'm going to go to the college game of Michigan State plus four and a half at home against Michigan. Mm. So they can lose; they just have to lose by less than a field goal. So I think like the Spartans there, a top ten matchup uh, in college football this weekend. Right with Michigan and Michigan State. Let's touch on our high school games this weekend. Uh, a couple that I found to be very intriguing, and one that's in my neck of the woods out in Rockwall, Tyler Legacy uh, visiting Rockwall Heath. Pat Downey would love this because we're touching on some high school football here, even in his absence here on Big Game Friday morning. Uh, Rockwall Heath, a six-game winning streak can clinch the District 10-6A uh, title with a win. Tonight against Tyler Legacy. Legacy three losses have come against some really, really good competition. Longview, Allen, and Rockwall, they've had a really tough schedule. Gets even tougher as they visit Rockwall Heath. They can do it through the air, can do it on the ground. Zach Evans, 263 yards and a touchdown last week in a win over Mesquite. I think Rockwall Heath handles their business and continues their winning streak, which is a six-game winning streak uh, right now for me. One, again, that's in my local area. Looking forward to seeing Rockwell Heath handled their business out there. One I'm picking to highlight is kind of in my area too. I've actually I'm actually going to this one tonight. Mm-hmm. Got a couple of friends that work at these schools. Uh, but Louisville at Flower Mound Marcus, undefeated Louisville Farmers can clinch the six six A title with a win and a Hebron loss to Plano West. It feels weird that we're already talking about teams that can clinch their district, yeah. but this is the last Friday of October, so it's coming down to the end of this high school season. Uh, gonna get a chance to watch an Oregon State commit in Damian Martinez of Louisville. It's three straight games with more than 200 yards rushing ranks ninth in rushing yards in among area 6A players. So looking forward uh, to that one tonight. The only other one for me, Allen taking on Prosper. Last year's matchup was an absolute classic. Allen winning with six seconds left uh, in that football game. Allen has a half game lead over Denton Geyer in the district 5-6A uh, with two weeks left. So what's interesting, so Allen's got a piece of history they're trying to keep alive you know, this season. So Allen's trying to make it this season their 11th consecutive season that has finished at least with one or no losses in 11 straight seasons, but it will have to win a state title, obviously, to keep that alive. So trying to uh, handle their business, Allen star Jalen Jenkins uh, running back there did not play last week in their win over McKinney. We'll see if he's ready to go when they take on Prosper tonight. But uh, look, they've got a lot of history to try and continue to hold up. We saw Allen High School product, uh, Kyler, Kyler Murray on, Thursday night football, not able to get the win uh, against the Green Bay Packers. Hopefully that isn't, it's not a bad omen. <laughs> I don't, I don't think so. I'm sure. Actually, I was going to say I'm sure Kyler's lost 
games and Allen's won games in the similar weekends, but probably not a whole lot since his rookie year. When he was at Oklahoma, not very often. Mm-hmm. This year, not very often. Yeah. So I do think Allen handles their business when they take on Prosper to try and keep that piece of history alive. Uh, some interesting news that came across that you discovered with um, Texas high school football and potentially uh, another class being added yeah. to Texas high school state football. Real interesting story the other day in the Dallas Morning News, uh, just kind of reporting on what some people think could happen as you know some of these schools in these cities where they continue to have one high school, the enrollments are just getting absurd. Allen has almost 7,000 students at their high school. The cutoff to get in the class 6A is 2,200. So they're... Oh, wow. They're reaching a point where they're almost three times as big as some of these schools. Now, the Morning News did a little research, did a little digging. They found there are 77 schools in Class 6A in Texas that have more than 3,000 students, including 19 in Dallas-Fort Worth. The majority of those are around five big cities in the area or in the state. You know, DFW, Houston, Austin, San Antonio, El Paso. But there's a dozen or so that are, you know, kind of out in West Texas or out in East Texas, like a Lufkin-type area, uh, kind of on their own. So maybe the argument goes making a Class 7A, which was one of the ideas floated, not in writing, not necessarily going to happen, mm-hmm. but... Kind of like a mega school a mega type. schools thing would be kind of like one idea, but that creates major travel problems for you know a dozen 15 schools so one of the things i think makes the most sense every other classification divides it into division one and division two before the season starts 6a doesn't do it until the playoffs Mm -hmm. that seems to be the easiest way to go to make travel a little bit better for schools yes you're still going to have depending on geographically where the districts are you are still going to get some of those mega schools with some of those schools that are barely over the limit but they'll be a little more over the limit at least if they're divided into those two divisions yeah the five largest schools in the state are all in the dallas area with allen plano west plano east plano and duncanville according to the last realignment enrollment figure so some big changes could be happening for high school football here in the state of texas that could cause some different realignments as far as you know classes with 6a 7a potentially and of course realignment potentially happening again of course uh in 24 2024 through 20 26, a really piece, interesting piece of high school football news to hear for the state of Texas. Uh, last thing before we get out of here today, here on Big Game Friday morning, the best thing you saw this week, Chris Blake, as we get ready to get out of here on Big Game Friday morning. My favorite thing that I saw was, I'm going to go back a little bit, six days ago, the Penn State-Illinois college football game <laughs> that went to nine yes. overtimes and was still only 20-18 to 18 was the final score. So... That's a lot of not scoring points, but I love. I know some people were criticizing that game that it took too long. I love the college overtime system where it challenges teams to just continue to one up each other, forced two point conversions after the first couple rounds, uh, and really puts play calling and star players on display. Best thing I saw this week was the Atlanta Braves winning the National League pennant. Ron Washington, former Texas Ranger manager, third base coach for the Atlanta Braves, having a chance to get back to the World Series as they take on the Houston Astros. Hopefully for Ron Washington, the Atlanta Braves can win that World Series and defeat the Houston Astros. So that was the best thing I saw all week on 
Big Game Friday morning. Appreciate everyone joining us on Big Game Friday morning. Present